The goal of the church is not just to be friends with one another. The goal of the church is to lift up the excellencies of Christ and to enjoy him together, which is what we'll do in heaven. So that subtle little shift in the same way that Lewis says we can't have friendship as a goal, so in the same way we can't have speed towards planting more churches as a goal, the goal has to be Jesus. Nathan Knight is the lead pastor of Restoration Church in Washington, D.C., which is a church that he planted 14 years ago. He now leads a church planting network in the D.C. area called Treasuring Christ Together. And he recently wrote a book published by Crossway and Nine Marks about church planting called Planting by Pastoring. In our discussion, Nathan and I talk about the premise of his book, which seeks to encourage the planting of new churches while getting back to the biblical definitions of what a church is, what a church does, and how to define success in a local church. Here's the episode. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for being on the program. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. So you recently wrote a book. It came out just now from Crossway. It's called Planting by Pastoring, A Vision for Starting a Healthy Church. I'm excited to talk to you about church planting. Uh, that's a space that I'm involved in with our network of churches, with Calvary Global Network. And so loved it. I'm excited to hear your heart on this. I've read part of your book, but I've got some questions for you as well. So Nathan, maybe just start out by introducing yourself to our listeners. Tell us who you are, a little bit about your journey up into this point and what you're interested in. Yeah, amen. So uh, I grew up in a Christian home, trusted in Christ by the grace of God at the age of 19 and uh, was in sales for about five years and then got into, went to seminary and my first semester there, my professor started talking about the church and showed us from scripture, God's vision for the church in ways I'd never seen, just caught a vision for that. Did a church planning residency at our sending church, North Wake Church. Came up here, long story short, to Washington, D.C. to plant. Landed here May the 1st, 2009. And with my wife and one son, I now have two sons, been married for 20 years. And love my wife, Andy, my two boys. And uh, we covenanted together, kind of out of order there, sorry. Covenanted together after landing here May the 1st, 2009. Covenanted together with 18 members on May the, March the 28th, 2010. And here we are. We're still here. That's awesome. Yeah. How's it been going with the church plant? I mean, you're 20 years in, you've grown from a group that was meeting in your home. Yeah. How are things now? Yeah. We have 14 years in, 20 years into marriage, praise the Lord. And yeah, things are going well. Yeah. It's, it was a, I think the Lord's, the story that the Lord has written for Restoration Church has been a kind of steady growth, I guess you would call it, steady growth. So it's not been, you know, super up or super down. It's been a nice kind of steady growth, which I love. So I, mm -hmm. I talk to planters that kind of have a lot of growth quickly and they have all kinds of issues and guys that just never really tend to grow as much and they have issues and we have our own issues, but it's been nice to have a kind of steady growth for Washington, D.C. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So, you know, this podcast is called Theology for the People. You know, this might come across as like a fairly practical subject as far as like planting churches and all yeah. that, but bring us into a little bit of the theology behind church planting. Well, God has been forever in community with himself, right? So he has always been Father, Son, and Spirit communing with one another. Out of the overflow of that, of course, he creates humanity, not because he needs it, but out of joy in and of himself, right? And he creates mankind in his own image. And of course, we see that he sees man as not lonely, but alone, right? Big difference between those two things. 
And so he gives him a spouse. And of course, they're supposed to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth with worshipers. Fall comes in. Long story short, God is always in community with himself and man is created in his own image. And therefore he is to be in community. That happened with Israel, right? Then Jesus in the new covenant plants the, you know, begins the church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so therefore, why church planting in relation to the theology behind it? Well, because God has always been in community. He created man to be in community like himself. And this covenantal community inside of the gospel is the church. And we see that as is practiced by the apostles themselves, where they preach the gospel, people respond, they form churches to be in community with one another. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's a need for new churches? I mean, why not just stick with the churches we have? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Yeah. So I would say, first off, yes, there are some churches you do need to stick with. And so there are certain places, certain cities where they don't really need new churches. And then there's other places that have plenty of churches that are still in, in need of churches because for whatever population growth or, you know, maybe some aspects of the city, you know, segments of the city are not being reached. So I would say, yes, we can still revitalize and strengthen existing churches. But I would also say that churches need to be planted. Uh, new churches need to be planted because A, there are communities that don't have healthy churches at all. B, there are communities that have no churches at all in places of the, there's pockets in the United States where that's the case, especially even amongst maybe ethnic peoples and the like. But I think those two reasons would be the ones I would point at. I would say first, yeah, let's revitalize the ones that are there or strengthen the ones that are already there. But two, there are places in our communities that have no healthy churches at all or a third. They just need new churches. I can think of a brother that's planning a church in uh, an aspect of uh, San Antonio where they're just not much there at all. So believe it or not, those pockets still exist. You know, I did a presentation for our church network on church planting at our recent conference. And one of the, one of the interesting statistics was this, that from going up from like 2006 to 2019, so in that period there, on average, there's something around 4,500 churches every year in the United States closed. Oh, yeah. whereas 4,300 churches were planted. So as the population is growing yes. of our country, yep. we're actually ending up with a net loss in loss. churches every year. On top of that, then we went through this pandemic. And in the pandemic, yeah. a lot of churches closed. And in addition yeah. to that, church planting in many places kind of grinded to a near halt. Not to mention, you mentioned healthy churches. I think that's a really good point because, you know, in my town, I did a calculation. There's somewhere around 30 churches, which is not enough, by the way, to serve right. 100,000 people. Right. Even if those were good churches, and mm -hmm. I can say that of those 30, less than half are churches where I would feel fine sending someone to because they maybe don't hold to the sufficiency of Scripture or the inerrancy of Scripture. Maybe they don't even believe the gospel. And so right. I think that there is a massive need for, yeah. for new churches. Yeah. And there might even be some churches that are sort of, they believe the right stuff, but they have just, for whatever reason, under God's providence, have just sort of grown a bit. Well, they've shrunk for whatever reason under God's providence. The leadership there is maybe a little bit older, a little bit more tired. They don't have the energy that they can kind of maybe utilize for youngers, more, you know, pastors, planters that maybe have a little bit more energy to kind of get out there and reach the community. So in other words, there's so many different narratives of Absolutely. reasons why we should plant churches. 
Yeah. yeah and if we look at ecclesiology, which is the study of the church and like, what is God's purpose and vision with the church? I think that's really important to keep in mind as well, that, yeah, that God's vision is for important. the church to be a hub for discipleship and an outpost of the kingdom in the world yes. that then becomes a hub for evangelism. And so Amen. rather than saying, well, we're going to get some other organizations to do the evangelism or individuals, right? No, this is all part of God's vision for the church, and it's a beautiful vision. It really is. And, and Scripture has a lot to say about ecclesiology. It's, I think many of us, myself included, before I went to seminary to kind of think about some of these things, is I would have told you that the Bible, you know, didn't really say much about ecclesiology. You know, it's kind of, mm. he kind of leaves that up to us. A lot of, a lot of freedom out there to kind of choose how we want to do church. But actually when we slow down and study scripture, God in and of himself is, right, is a confessional kind of God, right? He is mm -hmm. who he is and he is not who he's not. And so as a result of that, we should expect God to give us a word that has a robust ecclesiology to it. It's not, when we study the scriptures, there's more in them, in the Bible that would teach us about how to order our churches than we might think. What do you think are some common but misguided metrics for success when it comes to church planting? Oh, yeah. Great question. Yeah, I think so. One of the things I mentioned in my book is I call it the four S's. It's just I'm not a big alliterating guy, but nevertheless, it helps me remember things. I'm not a, I'm not tremendously bright all the time. So so I think the typical metric that what you see more popularly for church planting success is size, speed, self-sufficiency and spread. So if you get a good amount of size, that could, that size could be 100 people, doesn't have to be 10,000. Get a good amount of size, you get it quickly, be financially self-sufficient, uh, and then you spread, you multiply that thing, that church. If you do those four things, therefore you have been granted or deemed church planning success. And I will say definitively, those are four good things. I want mm -hmm. all four of those things. I trust, Nick, you want those four things for your family of churches. We're striving for those things, but I don't think that we should emphasize those things as the markers of success. So that's why I want to kind of say, no, that's not success. So to your question, Nick, what is success? Well, I, I think success is, is planting a biblically defined church. So mm -hmm. as simple as that is, which I define as a, a church is the regular gathering of Christians that have covenanted or agreed together to preach the gospel portray the gospel and protect the gospel. So preach the gospel, the true gospel. They're regularly preaching that, teaching that true gospel, not the false gospel. And then portraying it in, in particular, Lord's Supper and baptism. So they're gathering under that gospel, taking the ordinances of those, those two or those signs of the gospel. I might even add a portrayal of loving one another, John 13, right? They'll know you're my disciples, by the way, you love each other. And then protecting the gospel. That's membership and discipline, you know, binding and loosing on earth as it is in heaven, you know, exercising those keys of the kingdom to say, this is goat, this is sheep. And so those things, the regular gathering of Christians that are under that gospel, doing those things, that success. And then from that, yes, we want to do those other four things, but man, that's a success, whether it lasts a year and has 10 people or lasts 200 years and has a thousand, it's still success. I think if you look historically at churches and if you look at the big picture of like how many churches are out there and what they look like. You know, it's been said, and I'm sure you've heard these statistics, that it's around, you know, the average church in the United States is somewhere around mm -hmm. 80 people. And that's the average. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, to be above that means that you're above average. But you know, what's, what's really yeah. interesting to me is that when you go outside of the United States, one of the things you'll notice is the average church size goes down. And it, it tends to be that most churches don't have pastors who are vocational 
meaning mm. monovocational, meaning that their only job is to yeah. work at the church. Uh, the great majority of the world, you yeah. know, you're looking at bivocational pastors, and that's actually been the case for most of the history of Protestantism. And I think it's it's a good thing for you to be reminding people, okay, let's yeah. define what a church is yeah. and what a church does so that we yeah. can actually have a true measure of success. Yeah. yeah and, and what you'll notice, one of the things I did not put as in terms of the essential quote unquote success of the church, notice I didn't insert a vocational pastor in there, right? Now, mm. I do think that's probably, maybe certainly not vocational, but certainly pastors should be appointed. They should have those. But nevertheless, even those important metrics, which are critical, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, right? Those are important. But even the essentialness, getting really clear on what a church is and what a church does, will make more clear to us what success is so that we're not discouraged all the time and we can stay at the work of pressing the gospel out and in. Okay, so in your opening chapter of your book, you encourage pastors to embrace slowing down to spend time, yeah. as you say, pressing the- Why would we do that, Nick? That's insane. Yeah. So slowing down building the church. I, I want to hear, so why don't you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that? And then I've got maybe two yeah. slight pushbacks, which I hope will give you an opportunity to clarify your position even more. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I once heard an example from another brother that I thought was really helpful. You know, he said that, uh, you know, the goal of his family, his nuclear family, was not to try to have as many kids as he can as fast as he can, and, right? Because that would, you know, if that was the goal, there would be all kinds of concerns we would have about those, that husband and that wife, right? So in the same way, there's a sense in which, right, when we have children, we're trying to be careful with the way we're having children. We want to form those children so that they grow up to be healthy, godly men and women. So I think there's, there's, a, there's an example in that that's wise for us as planters to consider that the speed and the size of these things should be more careful such that it would warn us to slow down a little bit to make sure that the thing that we're trying to start is healthy in and of itself in the same way that like, you know, maybe we shouldn't go out and try to adopt triplets when the family we have is kind of falling apart, right? Mm. So slowing down, what it does, and by slowing down, I don't mean to try to say it can only go this fast or that fast. The point is, is just to evaluate those healthy markers of success so as to make sure, and the example I use in the book, is that we're building like the three little pigs. We're building with bricks and we're not building with straw and sticks so that when the big bad wolf comes along, and he is going to come along, right? Satan is always looking around like a lion. When he blows, that church will stand because it was built with bricks. And that's going to demand we slow down a little bit. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I remember I planted a church in Hungary. I planted two churches, but the first church I planted, I was remembering this just as you're speaking, was that people from the church would sometimes come up to me at one point in the church plant, and they would say, you know, you seem so focused and enamored with getting mm. new people in mm. and integrating mm. new people that mm. almost like that seems like like pouring into us has become secondary. Wow. Like you yeah. almost like take for granted that we're here because your focus is on the next person who, yeah. you know, it might come in or in growing the church. And that was a convicting thing for me to hear. You know, it's something I never forgot. Yeah. Amen. And I'm sure, Nick, I did the same thing those first few years because, right, it makes sense, right? You're just, you're so focused on evangelism, especially in those first few years, hopefully you never get over that. But those first few years are so focused on just getting it going. The example I sometimes think of to the, to the example you gave that I'm sure I did too, 
was it's sort of like the person you're talking to after church. When they're sitting there talking to you, you never really look them in the eye and you're kind of looking around, looking over their shoulder, right? They feel so unloved, right? Mm. Instead of actually looking them in the eye, listening to them, praying with them, weeping with them, laughing with them. So as planters, we gotta, man, we gotta look people in the eye. We can't be constantly looking over their shoulder. Otherwise, you know, all kinds of bad will come. Not to mention they won't, just as I mentioned, they won't feel loved, but even more, they're not being formed and built up and strengthened. So yeah. more I could say on that, but that's a great example. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from six to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. So here's one of my questions then. Where do you think that a sense of urgency fits in here? Because what I mean by urgency is you're saying we should slow down. I mean, but isn't there also a sense of urgency, right? That the world needs more churches and, you know, those people in our cities need to be discipled and brought into our church. So slowing down, how is that going to help with that sense of urgency? What would you say? Yeah, it's a great question. So a couple ways to answer that question. So first I'd say, you know, again, the first thing I'd say is that, and using the illustration of the three little pigs, yes, we might more quickly build more churches. But if we're, if we're not being careful with that in terms of speed, so as to kind of reach those people that are dying every day, we might build, build churches that are made out of sticks and straw. And by sticks and straw, I'm meaning sticks and straw of a, of a gospel that's a stick and a straw gospel that maybe is not even clear as to who they're binding and loosing and putting people in baptismal waters. And so they're, they're kind of saying, yes, we think you're a Christian when they actually never took the time to really help them understand the gospel. So you might have some kind of bastion of the gospel that's out there, but it's actually binding and loosing people in relation to that gospel that's not clear. So you're actually, you're, you might be putting some kind of banner up and you could point at it as a statistics. We planted a whole bunch of churches, but the, actually the binding and the loosing and the teaching and the discipling of those churches are not healthy. Now that, that didn't have to be that way, but that could be a danger. The second thing I think I would say is as to why not go as fast because people are dying and going to hell every day. Well, 
I think too, by slowing down, what that does is I think about if, if I, the kinds of kids that want more kids are the kids that have good parents that love them and care for them and minister to them. So in the same way, the more people that want to plant more healthy church are the ones that are going to be felt like more loved. So in other words, by being more careful then the people that you spin out, they're going to be more willing to give themselves to Christ and to one another and to be more careful themselves. So yeah, as opposed to the people that maybe have a lot of kids, but they never felt loved. They don't want kids. They don't want to have any family of their own. They don't want to go get married because they felt so terribly, terribly treated themselves. So I think those two would be my answers. One, we can't just plant churches just to get gospel out when it's not when it's more sticks and straw church. So that's not the answer. And two, the kinds of churches that are built with bricks that are more deliberate, I think they're going to redound more kinds of people inside of them that will want to plant churches that will eventually reach those people that will be more brick-like and they'll be more healthy because they themselves were able to be ministered to those by those people. Yeah, in a way, it's yeah. almost a counterintuitive thing, right? In other words, if you, I mean, I'm not saying that we should view it as like, well, actually, here's the trick, right? But as yes. to say, here's about health. We have a saying in our movement that says a healthy sheep reproduce. Amen. And so the goal yeah. is not necessarily for you as the pastor to be the yeah. one who's out there, yeah. you know, reproduce. But your goal is pour into the sheep, as it says like in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, right? So that those people will be built up to do the work of the ministry, the saints. And so, yeah, I think that's good. And, you know, C.S. Lewis has this whole thing on friendship. You ever hear Mm -hmm. the four loves? You know, he says, the ironic thing about friendship is that in order to have friends, you have to want something other than friendship. Yes. And, And he says, and that's why those sad people who the only thing they want are friends, they seem to never be able to find them because... That's the only thing they want. And what they don't realize is that you have to actually pursue something else in order to get friends. I think there's a parallel here with planting, in other words, that if what you want is growth, you actually need to pour into people mm. rather than, like you said, always looking over their shoulder. And uh, and maybe another way to say that, and, and I welcome the, the pushback here, Nick, the, I, I think this is this can be a little bit controversial when I say this, but I'll just say it flatly and maybe give me a chance to explain it a bit, but the goal of church planting is not growth or multiplication, right? Mm. And the reason for that is is in the same way, if if the goal of my family is just to multiply, man, that's going to be really problematic. You know, I'm going to have as many kids as I can. That's the goal of my family. So no, 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 we don't want to do that, right? The goal, and this is going to sound like a Jesus juke, Nick, but it's not a Jesus juke. This is really important that we make this clear. The goal of church planting, and I talk about this in the book, is to treasure Christ together. And if we miss that, if we lose sight of that, if in the good desire, the right desire to multiply as many churches as we can so as to reach the lost people, what we wind up doing is the point you're making with C.S. Lewis, that comes friendship becomes the goal. It doesn't work, right? Because the goal of the church is not just to be friends with one another. The goal of the church is to lift up the excellencies of Christ and to enjoy him together, which is what we'll do in heaven. So that subtle little shift, in the same way that Lewis says we can't have friendship as a goal, so in the same way we can't have multiplication or speed towards planting more churches as a goal, the goal has to be Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and I I read that part in your book, and you mentioned John Piper, right, with his famous quote, where he talks about missions. 
yeah, where he says the goal, yeah. the reason why missions exist is because worship doesn't. Yes. And the yeah. goal of missions is worship. So I, I think that that's yes. a great point. Would yes. you say that that applies to church planting, right? That the goal of church planting is essentially worship? Well, yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And, and if I could, how dare I maybe, you know, tread lightly and correct Piper just a little bit by saying proper worship doesn't, right? Because okay. everybody worships, right? Everybody. Oh, like when, you, you when you moved into Hungary, right? There was tons of people worshiping, but you were bringing them into proper worship. So, right. so yeah, it definitely applies to planting. And men, that honestly, Nick, this is one of my biggest burdens with this book is, is I think I see this from large church planting organizations that they're saying very openly and very, yeah, resolutely that like the goal is multiplication. The goal is to reach the lost. And man, of course those things are true. That's why I planted my church. That's why you're pastoring your church in Colorado, right? But man, that's not the goal, right? The whole point of me planting this church is so that people, 2 Corinthians 4, right, would behold the glory of Christ, right? Mm. That's the goal. What does Satan not want? Satan does not want us to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm. And so the gospel, the whole point of the gospel is to help us to see Christ, enjoy Christ, which is what the nations are doing in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7. So church planting's aim, it's so important, is every sermon, every baptismal, every Lord's Supper, every Sunday school, every prayer meeting, every evangelism is to help people see and savor Christ. That's got to be the goal. Okay, in the, in the second chapter of your book, you talk about some of the things that you feel that you did right in church planting. For example, pastoring and discipling as opposed yeah. to focusing on flashy programs and things yeah. like that. But here's my question. Are there any things that you now look back on and you wish you had done differently? Are there any things where you feel yeah. like if you were doing it all over again, you would do these things differently yes. or things maybe that you didn't do that you would do if you were planting today? Yes, for sure. I, you know, I think for sure a few things come to mind. It's really those the, the, the category, there's a one category in particular that I, I think we were weak in, and namely, I wish more people would have pushed us to think more missionally in terms of demographics. We didn't do that well. I think, I think people would have, for instance, you know, maybe go to a more impoverished neighborhood. I didn't have to move into Ward 3 of Washington, D.C., which is full of people a lot like me. Now, that's fine. The Lord, people does that. I, we, we need that. But I, I, I think it would have been, I wish people would have pushed me more to think more differently demographically. And I'm also, I'm going to include in that more impoverished neighborhoods. I'm going to include in that kids. I saw kids as a distraction and as a, as a, an impediment to my speed. You know? mm -hmm. So, and I, we just, man, I, every time kids ministry came up, it was like, ah, it was getting in our way. And that, man, that was a huge mistake to not see that as a way of which to evangelize the lost. So that took, that was a big adjustment to one, the neighborhoods I was considering, I could, I should have been pushed more demographically. And two, related to that children, I didn't have a good, I'm ashamed to say, I didn't have a good vision of seeing them as pe people that need to be evangelized and trained up in Christ. I saw them more as an impediment, I'm ashamed to say. So there's, there's two areas right there that I, I wish, I, I think we, we didn't do that as well, didn't think that through as well. I could mention others, but that's a couple. In one part of your book, you talk about the idea of a pastor as entrepreneur, as kind of like a model that is used in a lot of talk about church planting today, right? That the 
church planter needs to be an entrepreneur. Now, first of all, talk about that for a second. Like, what do you mean a yeah. shepherd instead of an entrepreneur? But yeah. then I, I do have some questions about it. Yeah, sure. Well, first off, I, I talk in there about how Jesus saw himself, right? So Jesus saw himself, John 10, that he is the good pastor, right? I am the good shepherd. And he comes for sheep. And he know, this, is, this is critical. He knows his sheep by name and they know his voice. Right. And we even, if I can rewind the clock back to Ezekiel 34, you remember Nick in Ezekiel 34, where he's rebuking the, the past, the shepherds of Israel, that they were only using uh, the sheep as it were to feed themselves. And then he says in Ezekiel 34, and I will come down there myself to shepherd the flock. And of course, that's Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. And so again, God, as we said, in and of himself, he loves himself in, the, in a beautiful sense. Out of the overflow of that trinity, he makes mankind in his own image. And therefore, he wants them to be shepherded, just like a husband wants to love his wife, right? So therefore, Jesus saw himself as a pastor that loved a sheep that knew his flock. He was not after trying to build prophets. He wasn't trying to build size for size sake. He knew his sheep and his sheep knew him and he loved them and he loved them even by name. And so as a result of that entrepreneurialness, I'm okay with it. Matter of fact, I will use it in the network. You know, I'm in a, another church planning network. And we're, we're, we're evaluating people's fitness to start things up from scratch. I think that's good. I think it's right. I think it's fine. But what I don't like is how that seems to dominate the conversation. And what it does is it distracts from the way Jesus saw himself as the first real and true church planter. And I think how planters who ought to be pastors should see themselves. We're not after prophets. We're not looking to the business world to kind of give us, you know, how, to, how, to, how can we figure out to make quick and easy profits? You know, the kind of work that we're going to do, right, Nick, is hard and it's countercultural and it doesn't make any sense, right? So as opposed to the entrepreneur, the business mindset is doing everything that you can do pragmatically to get the most profits as easy as you can. That is not the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I think I said two things there that Jesus sees himself as a pastor. We should see ourselves as pastors and we should not see ourselves, secondly, as business leaders because business leaders are going to lean into pragmatism for the sake of getting quick and easy profits. And that's just not gospel. You know, I'm teaching on our network of churches. We, we teach generally systematically through books of the Bible, Lexio Continuum, you know, yeah. so we right now I'm in the pastoral epistles and I'm teaching through Titus and it's really interesting there in Titus chapter one. Yes. Because essentially, if you get into the background of what happened there in Titus that Paul's writing into, it seems that Paul and Titus and probably some others, they had gone on some kind of like evangelistic campaign through the island of Crete. And now yes. Titus has stayed behind in order to yeah. take those groups of believers in different towns, villages, and cities and establish churches amongst them. Right. So he's, on the one hand, teaching them directly, but he's also, you know, identifying training and appointing yep. new elders to pastor these congregations, which in a way is a lot like church planting, right? Like yes. that's essentially what he's doing. And, and the qualification he gives there in the chapter one verses, I believe it's five through nine, he gives these, yep. these really great qualifications, but essentially it comes down to character. And mm -hmm. there's one other thing beyond character, which is that they Never need mind. to hold fast to the yes. words and be able yeah. to instruct in sound doctrine and rebuke when needed. 
But he doesn't say they need to have business acumen. He doesn't say that they need to be good speakers even at all. He doesn't uh, say a lot of things that I think that we tend to look for at the expense, perhaps, of character. And so for me, that was just really enlightening to study through Titus chapter one and see, man, look at all this focus on character and, and faithfulness to the word. And the other stuff, like the skill stuff, is stuff that can be taught and can be yes. acquired, but yes. it isn't the first thing we're looking for. Yeah, he's not looking for pragmatic business kind of quick profit kind of guys. You know, he's that's a great way, brother. That's a great word. It, uh, I use if I can again, if I can use another acronym, I, I'm, I can be thick skulled, so it helps me remember. So what you just said there was care like. The, the church planter ought to be a pastor, right? Because you're trying to form a church and pastors are led by uh, pastors. And so therefore he should have, he should be a man of character, right? That's Titus one, five to nine. That's first Timothy three, right? His character. And then secondly, the thing you said there, verse nine, Titus one, five, nine, right? Teaching sound doctrine, refuting those that contradict it. So consequently, he's got to be a man of conviction, right? He's got to have some convictions about what's true and what's not true. And he's got to have enough acumen in that so as to be able to teach that truth and, and, Sniff it out. It doesn't pass the sniff test and say, no, 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 that's not true. So character, conviction, we, we learn in First, Tim, First Peter 5, Paul, Peter says to shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, fifth, I, I would say that you're doing this because you have compassion for the sheep, which is what Jesus, remember, what's Jesus' first church planning residency, right? His disciples. And what does he say to his leader amongst his eagles at the end, right before he leaves, to his lead church planter, Peter, right? Do you love me, right? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, mm. tend my sheep. That was his final words. So that compassion is so critical. They, they need to be men of character, of conviction, of compassion for the glory of Christ that are living these things out themselves. And that, man, that is so not entrepreneurial. So in, in the business sense of the word, right? That just is... That goes against, you know, you go to McDonald's training class and they ain't going to tell you about that. You do whatever it takes, man, to sell more hamburgers. That's not us. Hey, you're killing it with the alliteration there, Nathan. I'm sorry, man. I apologize. That's yeah, uh... forgive me. <laughs> yeah, it helps me yeah. remember. That's the well, only hey, reason why. No, that's yeah. great. So to that point, though, okay, let's talk about this. Where does organizational leadership come into this? Yeah. And I'll give you a few reasons why I asked that question, because as I look back on, on planting, especially the first church that I planted, I think that where I left a lot of things on the table, in other words, where there was some opportunity that I missed, had to do with my, basically my lack as an organizational leader. I was not good at managing volunteers, of casting yeah. vision. Yeah. I was good at like one-on-one discipleship. I was good at teaching Bible studies. But I wasn't good at understanding organizational dynamics and the need to what we would call in our movement, give away ministry Amen. And, and do that intentionally. Amen. I've grown into those things. And now I feel like those are actually areas where I excel. But now I, I have some regrets as I look back on my first church plant that, man, I wonder Amen. if the church could have thrived more if I had Amen. been better at those things and not had to necessarily learn them the hard way by right. failure. but. Anyway, what, what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, great, brother. That's a great word. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the so first, I'm going to say two things that are going to sound contradictory, but they're not. But on the one hand, we're not rejecting entrepreneurialness. Like, we're not saying, no, that's wrong or sinful or don't evaluate that. No, of course, 
it's just, I'm really, I'm trying to call us back to a matter of emphasis on the essential things that the Bible talks about. I'm trying to turn down the volume on the business kind of stuff, not turn it off, turn it down, trying to turn up the volume on the Bible stuff, right? The things that God emphasizes. And so, you know, that's, so I do want to say that like those kinds of evaluations, the stuff that you just mentioned, I think is helpful. That leads me to the second thing. Once again, let's look back at our doctrine of God. You know, we have one God in three persons. And in that Father, you have Father, Son, and Spirit, right? The Father sends, the Son, right, goes, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And, and so therefore, you have a kind of diversity within the doctrine of God. So in the same way, you, you and I are not God, right? We are not multi-gifted people. So we need people to fill up all of our wrongs, right? So we're not diverse. God is complete in and of himself. And man, I'm not even, it's wrong of me to compare myself to the Father in, in a thousand senses. But the point there is, is that just as God is diverse in and of himself and is complementary, so in the same way, church planters should be complementary to their weaknesses. I'm not to say that God has weaknesses. I want to be clear about mm -hmm. that. But we have weaknesses that we can learn something about the complementary nature of God himself. I think that's a great point. And that, that actually is one of the ways that I've grown in this is, you know, recognizing strengths and weaknesses. It's we hired an executive pastor at the church I'm pastoring now. And how what, awesome are they? Oh, man, the best. Right. Because yes. I get to focus on teaching the word. And Isn't that great? It's, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh. And, and so I agree with that. But, you know, here's where I think that it got me as a new church planter yeah. is that, you know, you probably heard the saying. It's not what you don't know that'll kill you. It's what you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. And I didn't know yeah. that until I yeah. learned it the hard way. And so one of the things that we're doing with our network, and it sounds like you're doing it too, because you mentioned evaluation, is that yep. you know, we're trying to evaluate people on the front end, mm -hmm. help them to know these things, and also yeah. then set them up with mentoring relationships. Yeah, so in which nice. somebody who's planted can say, you know, the thing that killed me was yeah. this. Yes. Or, hey, you're great at teaching Hebrews, but you are not good yes. at like managing your volunteers. Yeah. And, yeah. and we want the body of Christ yeah. to thrive. And we want that local body to thrive and not suffer unnecessarily because of our shortcomings. You know, because sometimes you mentioned like maybe God in his providence will have a church never exceed a certain number of people. And that's okay. And I 100% agree. Yeah. However, I think that sometimes a church actually isn't, it isn't necessarily God's providence as much as it is our own human failings that can sometimes mm -hmm. hold us back. And I always tell our church, I, I don't care how big or small God wants our church to be. I just don't want to be the one getting in the way of what he wants to do because of my own dumbness. That's a good word. That's a good clear point of clarification. I like that. No, that's mm -hmm. helpful. And I think too, you bring up a good point, Nick, that I think is worth mentioning. You know, I talk about this in the book as well, that like this is the beauty of how how churches plant churches and not we don't lean on parachurch ministries to be mm -hmm. the best evaluators for us because, right, when, when you have church planting residents in your church uh, or those of your listeners, you have church planting residents and they're in your churches, they're not in a parachurch ministry, man, you see all of their blind spots. You see all of their ugliness. You know, it's the same way. The example I, I use is like dating versus marriage, right? Remember when you were dating, right? You went out with your wife and like, man, you, you got, you shaved and you put the cologne on and like, and you were, and you were so sweet and kind for like three hours. And then you went back home and left your clothes on the floor and acted a fool, right? Yeah. 
She didn't see that. She didn't see that. So you can kind of impress somebody like a parachurch for a weekend, for an evaluative weekend. You can show that like, oh, they, this guy has no blind spots at all. But when you get inside of the life of the church, that's more like marriage, man. You see the boxers are on the floor. You know, you're terrible at this. Or why don't you tell me you love me or whatever, right? So churches see the entire life and doctrine. And so all the more reason to plant churches out of churches because we're able to say a, a, a healthy church will be able to evaluate one's fitness you know, for planting That's better cool. than a parent church. Though we, sh- we, we use parachurch ministry. You and I both are part yeah. of those. It's just they're not the main ones. That's like dating. I need marriage to get a good look at me. Yeah. Okay, next question. What, do you, what part do programs play in the growth and health of a church plant? Yeah. And yeah, maybe define question. what you mean by programs. Yeah, good question. So we all have programs. So, you know, a Sunday morning service is a program, right? So we all do programs. If you, you know, if you have community groups, that's a kind of program. But the thing that I want to press against is, is I'm not hoping in programs in a different sense. I'm not hoping in, you know, some more, some program of, you know, some 501c3 entity that maybe we use or some kind of, you know, some evangelism explosion or some evangelistic kind of program like, you know, we used, we used to use Christianity Explored, right? Good, healthy stuff, right? Or the point that I'm trying to make here is, is that we should be focusing on people and we focus on gospel and the word of that gospel, people and gospel. Those are the things that have promises attached to them. Whereas more external programs, which are fine to use, in their book, Trellis and the Vine, they have a, if you ever read that book before, Nick, it's a good have, book. Yeah. They, they, they differentiate, like we want to have some trellises. Those are the programs. And we have vines that grow up the trellises. And so the vines are the people. And so we want to kind of be focused on the vine and not be overly focused on the trellis. And so that's what I, really what I'm trying to emphasize is that we need to be people focused on people with the word of God that's where has promises attached to it and not get overly focused on thinking that we can build all these programs that people will grow up into. We need to have some trellises, but we need to be more focused on people and the word with the people because there we have promises. And we can, you know, build the trellises as we go, but be more focused on the vines, be more focused on the people. So your book is called Planting by Pastoring. And maybe just kind of give us a final word, sum it up. What do you hope this book will accomplish? Who's it for? Yeah, so a few groups of people as to who it's for. So obviously... Aspiring pastors, it would be great for them. Two, for those of whom what that maybe you're going to join. So did you have like a, I mean, I'm sure your family of churches has like you try to in- emphasize team planting, like people to go along with these people. We do. Yeah, we're, we're pretty diverse in our approach. So we don't force teams, yeah. but we would be, very much encourage it. Yeah. So it would be for those that maybe are wanting to participate in that plant. So they so they need to know they may not be the lead planter or the lead planters, but they they need to know what they're endeavoring to try to set up themselves. So it would be for team participants. And thirdly, it would be for pastors of existing churches that want to raise up church planters to know what they, what do we need to be doing? What do we think, what do we understand to be success and those kinds of things. And so it's written for them. And at the heart is the goal of church planting is to treasure Christ together. I want to make that, you know, just get the basic things that the Bible is saying as a church with the right people that's leading it for the right purposes. Man, if we can just bring some, just, I call it the rice and beans, right? It's just rice and beans. It's not fancy, but man, it's the stuff that the Bible's emphasizing that I want to get the church planning conversation back focused on. That's awesome. So where can people find your book? 
Yes, the ubiquitous Amazon.com. Of course, you can find it there. You can find them at Nine Marks. This is a Nine Marks title, so you can find it at Nine Marks. And then if I could just do a quick commercial, Nick, for those that are interested, we have an, a church planting weekender every single November, wherein we bring people into our church plant just to let them kind of see a church. And we tell the story of how we planted this church. They get to see it up close. They sit in an elders meeting. They sit in a service. We talk about service review. And we bring in some other planters to talk about these ideas and how you form them in. So if you search Church Planting Weekender, you can find the registration there. Uh, those are a few ways. And we'll give you one of those books if you come. Awesome. Hey, thank you, Nathan, for your time and for sharing your heart on church planting and the focus of pastoring and planting by pastoring. That's really cool. So I thank very much brother. appreciate the book and your heart behind it. Thank you, brother. And thanks for your family of churches, man. I thank God for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they will be delivered right to your podcast app. If there's ever a topic you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkady.org. And if this episode was helpful, please share it with others. If you'd like to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps boost this show and their ratings. So if you would do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless you.